Judy and I had a great time in, uh, over Thanksgiving in Denver. We spent den- time in Denver with our daughters there, different parts of the country at different times, and we all met in Denver this, this year. And so it was uh, an amazing time to spend. Um, and one of the things that, that we've always had this controversy in our family is as to when do, we, when do we allow Christmas music to be played. And I had this policy that you have to wait till after Thanksgiving. Well, I've been outnumbered three to one for my whole life. And so um, we usually start playing Christmas music just before Thanksgiving. And then, then we do all of that other stuff. So I don't know what your tradition is, but um, it's one of the things that we... Uh, we practice, and now we have Christmas music playing. We're decorating the house and tree, and uh, so anyway. And isn't this lovely? How they decorated? Yeah, you'll want to think. We'll have in the bullet next. Lisa Seibel is a, one responsible and her team. So if you see Lisa, uh, tell her you love the decorations. So the movie was entitled Fatal Attractions. A story about a happily married man who is tempted, seduced, and drawn into an affair with another woman. After his initial tryst, having come to his senses, he attempts to break off the relationship. Unfortunately, the woman, now spurned, refuses to just go away. She becomes jealous, possessive, and obsessive, and begins to stalk this man and his family. Ultimately, this illicit relationship ends with a fatality, a loss of life. Hence, the title, Fatal Attractions. This Hollywood movie depicts the the dangers of adultery or illicit sex in a kind of a twisted, abnormal way. It seems as if this is the only way in our culture the makers of movies can portray the dangers of adultery. Well, in the 1960s, America experienced a convulsive transformation of moral values. This sea change became known as the sexual revolution. The sexual revolution was a period of time when the practices and the lifestyles of heroes and movie stars of Hollywood were glamorized, standardized, and eventually accepted as the norm. The old restraints were thrown away. Virginity in the past considered a virtue became an embarrassment. Television and movies increasingly portrayed sex outside of marriage as the norm. Movie stars jumped in and out of bed as many times as they changed their shoes. Slowly but surely, we swallowed the bait, hook, line, and sinker. The messages were very subtle at first, very gradual, a values modification by increments, inch by inch. It was this dangerous incrementalism that began slowly and gained speed as we proceeded down the slippery slope of destruction. As we now look back on the last 60 years, we realize where this sexual revolution has brought us. The degradation of our sexuality, reduction of relationship to a physical act, the transformation of true love to selfish pleasure, a violation of the most tender and sensitive of all relations between human souls. Fatal attractions are dangerous far more than just for the physical being. So how dangerous are these illicit attractions? How dangerous are they? In Proverbs 5 it says, for the lips of an adulteress drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. 
Proverbs 6.25 says, Do not lust in your heart after her beauty or let her captivate you with her eyes, for the prostitute reduces you to a loaf of bread. And the adulteress preys upon your very life. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. Proverbs 6 says, But a man who commits adultery lacks judgment. Whoever does so destroys himself. Blows and disgrace are his lot, and his shame will never be wiped away. In Proverbs 7, 21 to 23 says, with persuasive words she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into the noose till an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. Fatal attractions, these are descriptions of adultery in Proverbs. Is this going to be a problem still? Todd, test, testing. You know what? So we're not distracted. Test, test one, two. Okay, I'll do this. Does that work? I have to preach one-handed, but that's, that's what happens. Okay. Fatal, fatal attractions, descriptions of adultery. The first messages of this series, we looked at how God in his love for people established parameters, established boundaries in how we're to relate to God. It's the the vertical relationship and then also how to relate to other people, horizontal. And we've learned that as long as we live within these guidelines, our relationships work well. And it is God who designed it and how he intended for all of these relationships to work. We've learned that when we live within those guidelines, It's not perfect, but it's much better. Now we get to the seventh commandment. Exodus 20, 14 reads, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit adultery. One sentence. Now let's look at the commandment, first of all, in its primary prohibition, letter A, its primary prohibition, which is adultery. This commandment was written primarily to prohibit sexual relations with another person's spouse, a husband or wife. Joy Davidman writes, and I quote, Adultery occurs in many forms. There is the casual love affair indulged in because a momentary temptation is strong or because everybody does it and I don't think it matters. There is the intense, passionate, long, drawn-out triangle or even quadrilateral adorned with conflict and heartbreak. Then there is the legalized form with its rapid and lighthearted changing of partners in courts. All these, in practice, come down to the same thing, a corruption of the heart, a destruction of the home, an end to love. For the sexual union is a total commitment. As mystics used to say, in some ways it prefigures the union with God, demanding a self-surrender only less complete than the surrender to him. And where is it less than total? Where it is less than total, it hardly is worth having. A momentary pleasure, a permanent loneliness. End, end quote. Let's look at the extension of the prohibition. The extension of the prohibition. When Jesus came, he came to fulfill the word of God. And he extended this to a bunch of religious people that thought everything was fine. The Old Testament law extends this prohibition, first of all, to include all sexual immorality. If we look at, at Exodus 18, we find that it includes, number one, Fornication, which is sex outside of marriage or premarital sex. Number two, it includes homosexuality, 
sex with a person of the same gender. Number three, it includes incest, sex with a member of one's own family, parent, brother, sister, son or daughter, any child. And most repulsive of all, it includes, biblically it includes bestiality. Bestiality, number four, sex with an animal. Leviticus 18 and other Old Testament passages include all of these as illicit forms of sexual expression. And in the Old Testament, sexual, this kind of sexual promiscuity was considered very, very serious. The Old Testament law dictated a punishment for that, and that punishment was death. Very simply, it was, it was a death penalty. How serious was it? Well, when we get to the New Testament, let's find out if this continued to be this serious. In 1 Corinthians 6, 18 to 20, it says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Because we are indwelt by God himself, by his Holy Spirit, and sexual sin is so repulsive because God is dwelling within our physical being, our body. Then let's look at the internal realm of the heart. The internal realm of the heart. Um, in Matthew 5, Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law of God. He didn't come to contradict. He came to fulfill the law. And when it comes to the verses 27 to 28, he says, You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus moved it from this external action to say it's much more than that. This applies to a man looking lustfully with desire at a woman. Also, it applies to a woman looking lustfully with desire at a man. So what does adultery include? Well, it always begins on the inside, in the hidden area. We can hide these things, but God sees it. First of all, it begins, number one, in our eyes. Jesus says, anyone who looks lustfully. See, the first look is temptation. The second look is lust, okay? First look is temptation. It's not a sin to be tempted. You will be tempted through your eyes. The second look, it's lust. Then it moves into number two, our thoughts. Our thoughts. We see it, now we think about it, we nurture the thought of the thoughts. The visual temptation that has now been brought inside to our hearts. This is the next level where it becomes sin. It's internalized. Then it moves to affections, number three. That's when it becomes desire. So you have your eyes, you think about it, then you begin to desire it, desiring it. We want it. Number four, our desire. And following that desire comes action, number five, our actions. Our actions. A.T. Robertson, New Testament Greek scholar, says this. Jesus locates adultery in the eye and the heart before the outward act. Starts in the eye and the heart, and then it moves to the outward act. But the outward act is so destructive because it demonstrates a deep inner sickness that's already there. It's adultery or sexual immorality long before the act. But the actions are the culmination of the corruption of our heart. This selfishness or self-love at its height, it's no true love and it's no true commitment. 
Tasker writes this. He says, quote, what Jesus is saying is that God's demands in these matters are far more comprehensive and exacting than the current interpretations of the ones by the scribes. That adultery is just a final expression of lustful thoughts harbored in the imagination, fed by the illicit contemplation of the object of desire. Remember when Jesus was teaching, he was teaching to religious people. These were Jews that went to the went to the temple all the time. They, they were part of the religious establishment, and they looked like they had it together. And few, if any, would ever admit that they committed adultery. But he said it's not just the act. It's the thought. It's the desire. It's the looking. It's the lusting. Lusting. We're going to talk in a little bit about how to guard against sexual sin, but First, I want to look at the consequences of adultery. What are the consequences? Why is this attraction so fatal? Why is this a fatal attraction? Let's look at number two, the Roman number two, the consequences of adultery. First, in our personal life, personal life, number one, it's a sin against our body. It's a sin against our body. I read 1 Corinthians 6, 18 to 20 earlier about flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the, of, of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God? You're not your own. You're bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Our bodies are the temple, the dwelling place of the living God. This is the amazing thing. This is what happened on the day of Pentecost when, when God sent his Holy Spirit to dwell inside of believers. When you believe in Jesus Christ, you ask for forgiveness of your sins and ask Jesus to come into your life. His Holy Spirit actually takes up residence inside. He's inside our lives. Now, earlier in 1 Corinthians 3, verses uh, 16 and 17 of 1 uh, Corinthians 3, Paul says, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, or temple of God. Now, the word used there is a plural you. It's y'all, okay? It's y'all. So when he's talking about y'all, he's saying that the, 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 the living God dwells in the temple, which means the church, the people of God. And in that passage, he says, in a strong warning, if anyone destroys God's temple, the church, God, y'all, he said, God will destroy him, for God's temple is sacred, and you, you all are that temple. Um, it's a very strong warning about doing any damage to the body of Christ. Uh, we talked in the first, uh, first few months of us being here about the, the sacredness of the church, that God loves the church, and that we are to love the church with its flaws and everything. And, and I think that it's very, very important that we understand that, that the church, whether it's this local church or another local church, whatever it is, people that are part of the body of Christ are sacred and that as a group, we are to do nothing to damage or destroy. And I'll tell you, I've seen people do things I would never do, I would never dare do, because I, I know what the Bible says about destroying the body of Christ. Now, that is earlier in 1 Corinthians, and that's talking about y'all, the body of Christ. Now, this particular passage in 1 Corinthians 6 is singular you, which means he's talking about individual. So not only is it you all are the temple or the indwelling place of the, of the Holy Spirit of God, but now he's bringing it to the personal level that each one of us are the dwelling place, the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. And he says, God dwells, resides, and lives in us. And the sexual union unites us as one with the other person involved. 
And God, the Holy Spirit, is involved since he is inside us. And outside of the marriage covenant, outside of the marriage covenant or marriage relationship, we sin gravely against God and our own body. Not something to be taken lightly. It's very strong wording here. You are the temple. You're the dwelling place of God. You involve God in that process if you do. The second consequence is enslavement. Enslavement. When, when someone is drawn into, into sexual sin or, or the, the most common uh, issue today is pornography or illicit sex, it can easily become an addiction. In fact, studies have shown that addiction to pornography is as hard or harder to break than addictions to cocaine or heroin. It's unbelievable. The strength of that addiction. It can be enslavement. People want to be free to do what they want. They, what they discover is that it's not freedom, it's enslavement. I can tell many stories of people who have sat in my office and, and said, I need help. I'm enslaved. I'm, I'm addicted to pornography. What do I do? What do I do? Trying to find freedom from the enslavement. In a city near Seattle, there was a 13-year-old boy that was arrested for burglary. He had, he had, he had been breaking into homes continually. He didn't have a computer and he didn't have internet access. And the reason he was breaking into homes was so that he could get on their computer to view internet pornography. That's how strong the enslavement was for him. Sexual sin enslaves us, whether it's online pornography or an illicit affair. People want freedom, but they find enslavement, obsession. Number three, there's degradation, another, another result. This, this is sin is a degrading of the beautiful gift God gave us to express. Make no mistake, God invented sex, and God made it good. That's why we're all here. You know, basically, God brought us into the world through, through that procreation, that beautiful gift that he has given us. God made it good. The love for one person, for life, a union with that person, a man and a woman, then become one flesh. And it's a picture of... The, the union with God, becoming one with God. God made this incredible, and he made it good. And, but any aberration degrades the purpose for which God intended it. And all, all through the Bible, it talks about the people of God who, who degrade their first love for God, and he calls that spiritual adultery. But it degrades those who we are intended to be. Many people think, I just want to be free. The, uh, there's a a writer, Heather MacDonald, wrote in the Weekly Standard an article after, after studying the sexual revolution's effect on college campuses. And she said, it turns out that sexual liberation has not led to sexual fulfillment, but instead to a landscape littered with broken hearts and long-lasting psychological pain. And some of you have, have been through that, and you understand the brokenness that comes with that. Personal life consequences. Then there's the, the family life. Family life, letter B. Marriages break down and families fall apart for many reasons, but the most common cause of marital breakup today is adultery. It's adultery. Lost trust and lost affection. The effects are not only felt by husband and wife, but studies show today that the long-term effects of, on children of divorce continue an entire lifetime, no matter what their age at the time of the divorce. 
And many of you can attest to that, whether you've been a victim or victimized or, or you, you've had parents who are divorced or you've been through a divorce, whatever that is, you can attest to the fact that the brokenness brings incredible pain that lasts long term. I believe God can heal, but many times people just cope and never recover from the breakup of a marriage. Devastating consequences. The third consequences, that's family life, would be national life. The national life. What about our country? How has sexual sin affected America? You don't have to look very far. The sexual revolution in America has brought us unwed mothers and teen pregnancies. It's fed the agenda of the abortionists for abortion on demand, which is murder. It's brought us the violent abuse of women called rape. It's degraded women as objects of sex. It's brought conflict in the workplace labeled sexual harassment as women have become objects of abuse rather than persons of, of worth. What have we seen in the last three months? This incredible media storm starting with Weinstein. Now, Matt Lauer on NBC, we've seen this incredible. Why did that happen? The sexual revolution brought, brought the degradation of women and made them sex objects. It's degraded children and made them sex objects. It's completely destroyed any, any sense of value of human beings. And, and, and now we're seeing, we can, we can praise God that it's finally coming to light what's really going on. It's been hidden for so long. Nobody's talked about it. Today, it's being talked about. It's being exposed. And, and believe, you know, we, I think we've seen just the beginning of it. I really think we've just seen the beginning of the exposure. The, watch the political arena. That's next. It's God's grace when the light of truth comes in those settings. And the courage to stand up and say, I've been a victim. The me too, whatever that is. That's the result of the sexual revolution that has degraded our humanity and affected our national life. It's brought us a, one of the greatest tragedies of all time, which is the sexual abuse of children, sometimes as young as six months old. The sexual revolution brought us homosexuality that is so perverted in practice that I, I can't describe anything from the pulpit. The sexual revolution brought us NAMBLA, which is North American Man-Boy Love Association, and their motto is sex before eight where it's too late. Talk about predatory sex abusers. It brought us the appointment of an openly gay bishop in the Episcopal Church and clergy in the Methodist Church. The sexual revolution has brought us incredible degradation over the years. The slide began in the 60s, I remember. There were jokes about extramarital sex. Then there was the normalization of extramarital sex. Then the mainstreaming of extramarital sex. You could not watch a sitcom, you could not watch a movie without extramarital sex or premarital sex. Then, then came the jokes about homosexuality and the normalization of homosexuality, the, the mainstreaming of homosexuality. It brought us an explosion of persons involved in, in the lesbian lifestyle. And then we end up with the transgender movement. Choose your gender. There's something like 70 different genders you can choose from now. now I, talk about the absurdity. We are man and woman, male and female. That's how we are created. We can't choose our gender. Where did that come? It came from the sexual revolution, 
revolution that started in the 1960s and gone, the slide, the slide, the slide, the slide's gone. Absolute absurdity is beyond, beyond imagination. It brought us sexually transmitted diseases, new strains of syphilis, gonorrhea, genital herpes is prevalent among high school students. It brought us AIDS, a disease in which the innocent suffer with the guilty. The people may be married to a drug abuser or bisexual man. Babies born with AIDS that may never reach their fifth birthday. The sexual revolution brought fatal attractions. And God said, do not commit adultery. Why? To spoil our fun? No to save us from destruction. God's top 10. It's about relationship. Our personal life and our family life and national life is to be kept in order and it prospers if we follow these guidelines. If, if we live outside these fence posts and guidelines, we leave ourselves open to attack from any and all directions. And as you know, sex is everywhere. We have a sex-crazed culture. Movies, advertisement, music, sex sells everything. C.S. Lewis writes this. We grow up surrounded by propaganda in the favor of unchastity. There are people who want to keep our sex instinct inflamed in order to make money out of us because, of course, a person with an obsession is a person who has very little sales resistance. So how do, we, how do we tackle this? How do we fight this? I want us to just look very quickly at five guidelines, five guidelines. How to guard against sexual sin. Letter A, first one, no one admit our propensity to sin. No one admit our propensity to sin. James 1, 14 to 15 says, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin when it is full grown gives birth to death. Fatal attractions. We have inside of each one of us the seeds of our own destruction. We have the tendency towards sin. If we want to deny that, we're setting ourselves up for failure. Say, well, it never happened to me. I, I'll never... I'll never do something like that. If you don't think it's inside of you, think again. We have a sin nature in each one of us that must be put in check by the Holy Spirit of God. Genesis 3, 1 through 6 is kind of an interesting, interesting passage. It's the first sin that ever happened. Adam and Eve, there's a sequence I want us to look at. Genesis 3 says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit was, of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves." What's the sequence do we see? What is it we see? First of all, the question, did God really say? Did God really say? We've heard this for years. 
as, as people have attempted to get the word of God out of schools, out of the public square, get rid of the Ten Commandments on public grounds. Let's get, did God really say, let's get, they want to get rid of the word of God because it's the word of God that tells us what is right and wrong. It's the word of God. And if they, if, if they can get us to question God's word, then there's no, no basis of moral behavior. There's no basis of any right and wrong anymore. Because the Bible is our standard for faith and practice. Did God really say? That's where it starts. And then she saw it. There was this sequence of questioning God, and then she saw it, and then she desired it, and then she ate it. She could see it, desire it, and eat it. First John 2.16 says, For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of the eyes, and boasting of what he has, he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Do it. A pattern to be aware of. Because as we're tempted, God can intervene at any stage, whether it's the seeing, believing, questioning, whatever that is. First thing we need to do is know and admit our propensity to sin. Knowing the problem is the first step to the solution. But letter B, the second part, is to guard our eyes. Guard our eyes. Proverbs 4.25 says, let, let your eyes look directly straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Job 31.1 says, I have made a covenant with my eyes, which is a contract or an agreement, not to look lustfully at a girl. Guard our eyes. How do, we, how do we guard our eyes? Avoid places of pornography. Avoid places on the Internet. Get an Internet filters. Get an Internet partner. There are programs that, that you can partner with someone that, that keeps you accountable. It doesn't matter. Whatever you look at, they can see. And if the, you look at something that's a questionable website, they get a notice. Okay? If you have a problem with that, Internet pornography, get a program. Get a partner. Do something. There's a way to keep us accountable. Avoid that. Avoid movies that influence your passions. Ask the question, does this movie, this book, this television program, anything, does it move me closer to God or further away from God? Is it moving me closer? Or further? You know, there are a lot of things you can get away with and say, well, it doesn't really hurt me. The question is, does, it, does what I watch on television or what I read does it move me closer to God, or does it move me further away from God? It's a pretty simple question. It's not that hard to ask. But ask the question, does this move me closer to God or further away from God? There was a father of some teenage children who had a family rule that they could not attend a PG-13 or R-rated movie. Okay? A, lot of, a lot of families had that rule. They, they couldn't attend PG-13 or R-rated movies. And his three teens wanted to see a particular movie that was playing at the local theater. And it was rated PG-13. The teens wanted to see this movie, so they made a list of pros and cons about the movie to use it to convince their dad that they should be allowed to see it. The cons were it only contained three swear words. The only violence was a building exploding, and you did not actually see the couple in the movie having sex. It was implied sex, of course, off camera. The pros were that it was a popular movie. The movie contained a good story and plot. It had some great adventure and suspense. There were some fantastic special effects in this movie. There were some, the movie stars were probably the most talented actors in Hollywood. 
it was probably going to be nominated for several awards. And many members of their Christian church had even seen the movie and said, it wasn't very bad. So the father looked at the list in front of him, and he thought for a few minutes, and he asked if he could have a day to think about it before he made his decision. The next evening, the father called in his three teenagers, and there on the coffee table, he had a plate of brownies. The father told his children he had thought about their request, and he had decided that if they would eat a brownie, then he would let them go to the movie. But just like the movie, the, 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 the brownies had some pros and cons. The pros were they were made with the finest chocolate and other good ingredients. They had the added special effect of yummy walnuts in them. The brownies were moist and fresh with a wonderful chocolate frosting on top. He had made these fantastic brownies using an award-winning recipe. And the best of all, the brownies had been made lovingly by the hand of their own father. The brownies had only one con. The father had included a little bit of dog poop. But he, he had mixed the dough well, and they probably wouldn't even be able to taste the dog poop. And he had baked it at 350 degrees, so any bacteria or germs from the dog poop had probably been destroyed. Therefore, if any of his children could stand to eat the brownies, which included just a little bit of crap, and not be affected by it, then he knew that they would also be able to see the movie with just a little bit of smut and not be affected. They never went to the movie. What's my point? What's my point? Avoid. There are things that we can avoid that will poison us. Avoid places of visual sens sensuality. Guard your eyes. Anything that allows an entry point for temptation. It could be TV, soaps, MTV, music, video games. Some of this is subjective because not all of us are affected in the same way. We, we're not going to make this list of rules and say this is right and this is wrong. That's legalism. You have to answer the question, which way does this move me? Which way does this move me? And which way does it move the people I influence, the people with me, the people that I spend time with, my family? I say at this point, women, be sensitive to the weaknesses of men. I encourage women to dress modestly so that the attention is drawn to the faith, face. See, see, there are way, things that we can do that stumble our brother or sister, whatever that is. Think about it. Consider that. Guard our eyes and help others guard their eyes. Number, letter C, guard our hearts. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your hearts, for it is the wellspring of life. Eyes are the entry point to the heart. And then we have the heart. Guard your heart. How? Love God first. Spend time with God, with God's people. Pray and read the word. Spend time with God. That is the best way to guard your heart. Because when you're in the word and you're reading the word and you're meditating on the word, you are in relationship with God on a continual basis. Whatever comes your way, it's like God's involved in this process. You're, you're involved in this together. Aware of God's presence. Love God first. Secondly, love your spouse. Love your spouse. Tim Pop Popedic 
wrote, Model Happiness, Why Dating is Important to Your Church Culture. He talks about couple time. He talks about couple time. This has to do with loving your spouse, too, loving your spouse. He says, he says this, couple time is indeed associated with higher levels of satisfaction in areas of communication, intimacy, and marital commitment for husbands and wives. They did a study and they found that those that spent at least one time, like a date together a week, had three, over three times more satisfaction with the relationship in all aspects than those that did not. Same thing with men, if they spent time with their wives. Three times more fun in the relationship, and whether it's intimacy or time together and communication, whatever it is, the, the level of satisfaction went up by th over three times. The best way to avoid fatal attractions is to keep your marriage alive and strong. Invest in it. Keep your marriage alive and strong. Number three, love others. Love others. When we truly love others, we will not engage in selfish, manipulative, or destructive behavior. I know of young dating couples where one or the others felt pressured to engage in sex. It's not love. That's exploitation. It's selfishness. If someone truly loves you, they will not try to get you to do something for their pleasure. And letter D, guard our actions. Stay away from places of temptation. Stay away from places of temptation. So how do we guard our actions? Avoid places of temptation. Avoid situations of temptations. And if you find yourself in a tempting situation and you don't know what else to do, run. Run. Joseph did that. He was in a situation he couldn't avoid. He, he ran. Exit. It's not cowardly. It's courageous. Run. Letter E, practice purity. Practice purity. Proverbs 4, 20 to 27 says, My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free from perversity. Keep, let corrupt, keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. In the classic passage, Psalm 119, 9 to 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now, some here this morning may say, I guess, I guess it's too late. I, I've sinned. I've fallen. What am I going to do? Let's talk about forgiveness and restoration. Forgiveness, number four, forgiveness and restoration. God's top ten, the Ten Commandments, sets the standards, okay, this is the standard of righteousness. Then God takes the action to redeem us for failing to live up to that standard. It's an amazing thing. From the very beginning, when Adam and Eve sinned, they sinned, and what did God do? He, 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 slay, he shed blood, he, 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 he killed animals and clothed them with the skins. From the very beginning, God said, here's my standard, mankind broke it, he paid for it. He paid the price. He did what needed to be done to restore them. There's an interesting, interesting passage. We're going to probably be looking at 1 Corinthians this, this spring. 
But there's a passage in 1 Corinthians uh, that Paul wrote to the church. He was writing to people who were struggling to live Christian life. They really wanted to follow God. And, and uh, uh, he wrote this in 1 Corinthians 6. I, I haven't notated. I don't have the passage up. But verses 9 through 11. Um, he gives this list of all these horrible things. Okay? He gives this list. He says, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So he says, these people are not going to make it to heaven. And then he says to them, and that is what some of you were. Oh, that is what some of you were. But, he says, but... You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. What is he saying to us? Many of us have failed, whether it's been at the thought or action or whatever. You know, we can, we could, we can put ourselves in that list of all these horrible things and say, I guess we're not going to make it. Then he says, no, but you were washed you were cleansed. You have been made righteous because of your faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, he will forgive your sins. He will forgive it. How? Through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God. That's when we get to 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. Not some, all unrighteousness. There's not a sin we can commit. There's not a sin we can commit that excludes us from that forgiveness. That's why Jesus came. We could not fulfill those Ten Commandments. So he sent Jesus to make up the difference and to die for our lack of being able to pay for it. He paid for it so that we could have that relationship, pure and holy. And he looks at us as if we were sinless when we're in that state. So no matter where you've been, no matter where you are today, guilty of fatal attractions or fighting fatal attractions, in Jesus Christ, there's hope. Forgiveness for, for our past, there's hope for the future. You do not have to live with the guilt, nor be jerked around in the present. God's power is there for every one of us for those fatal attractions. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you deal in the reality of, of who we are, and, and, and you understand. You understand that inside of us are the seeds of our own destruction, and, and we fail not just once or twice, but we fail time and again to hold up to that standard. But you desire that relationship with us so much that you sent Jesus to die so that we could have that relationship restored. And we continually must ask for forgiveness so that we can have that relationship right. So we have that relationship with you vertically, and then we can live out this relationship horizontally. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would again speak to us about where we need to, where we need to focus. And it's the Holy Spirit inside of us that will do that. We give you our life again, Lord, brand new today. In Jesus' name, let's stand, shall we?